Hello, and welcome to Around the Table, a podcast about food stories from science to everyday life. Heather Hamill, you're Professor of Sociology at the University of Oxford. Uh, tell me something about yourself, your situation before lockdown, and uh, most recently during lockdown. So, yes, so I work in the Sociology Department at the University of Oxford. Um, I'm also a Fellow at St Cross College, which is high where I met you, Stanley. Um, so I work full-time. I have three children, aged 12, 11 and 7, Um, And we are in our 11th week of lockdown with the children off school. Um, So I've been balancing, trying to carry on working with a little bit of attempts at homeschooling and just trying to keep the children happy and healthy. What's been the biggest issue for you in in keeping to, to happy and healthy? Uh, I think really just trying to keep them motivated and engaged um, and um, active, actually. They're very energetic, bouncy kids so who have been used to doing lots of exercise um, and all had you know, lots of friends, lots of activities that they were involved in, lots of interests um, before lockdown. And so they've missed their friends a lot, but also I think just physically they haven't been having as much exercise as they normally would do. And that has had quite a big impact on their mood. It's been much harder to get them to go to sleep at night. Um, And just sort of generally, I think it has made them a little bit more squabbly than they usually are. So that's a really big challenge, I think, for us is just actually just physically tiring them out. Has the sort of easing of lockdown more recently made much difference to that? It has a bit. I think what has become difficult is that it's about trying to motivate them. So they don't really want, it's been hard to encourage them to, you know, just go for another walk with their siblings or... um, go for us you know there's a there's still a relatively limited repertoire in terms of things that we can do and I think mostly what they miss are their friends actually so where they don't particularly want to go and kick a ball around with mum or dad they'd love to go and kick a ball around with their friends um so that yeah that's hard for them I think yeah can you tell me has lockdown changed anything about how and what you eat Yeah, I think quite well. Yes, I think it has. So we all developed COVID-19 symptoms in mid-March, although we were never tested. Um, And for the children and for my husband and I, actually, this included a loss of appetite. So initially, I became very fixated on just nourishing them, the family, Um, making sure that as their appetites returned, that their diet was as healthy and nutritious as possible. I mean, I think we always have had a relatively healthy diet, but it became really important to me that um, 
the food that we were eating was as good quality as possible. Um, and I think that I also got a little bit, bit fixated on the idea that um, I needed to be a little bit more frugal because of a sort of perceived scarcity or certainly that going, well, initially because we were in isolation for two weeks, we couldn't go out to the supermarket. Um, and I had a sort of sense of, yeah, needing to be frugal, needing to think carefully about what ingredients I was using, not being wasteful or using things on a whim while at the same time trying to be as healthy as possible. And that was a new experience, I think, for me, because I'm very used to just being able to pop out and buy whatever I fancy at any particular point. That's, that's really interesting. So did you develop any particular strategies for how to balance being frugal while you know, keeping, keeping the interest going? Um, I don't think so. I don't think I developed any particular strategies, but I certainly explored the back of the cupboard. <laughs> so I got to, I got to the tins that have been in, you know, the back of the cupboard or slightly random bits of ingredients that, um, that I still had. I was thinking, um, um, you know, about high, high and high and high to use chickpeas. You seem to have a lot of chickpeas at the back of the cupboard somehow at some point <laughs> that had been bought and then not used. So, yeah, but um, it wasn't too serious. And then I think as soon as as things started to settle down, maybe by week three or week four, that sort of sense of scarcity or perceived scarcity, scarcity started to diminish anyway, I think. That's really interesting that uh, the chickpeas, you may well have bought them a while ago because you thought, well, I could always do something with chickpeas and, and you never do. And then you're, you're forced to, to engage with the, the, the thing at the back of the cupboard. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Did you have any particular recipes that you... Uh... Well, no, I tried out, I mean, I didn't, I had a sort of had, I tried out various different hummus recipes, <laughs> some of them a bit more successful than others. And we had a sort of chickpea casserole and chickpea curry. Um, and after I think the second chickpea curry, I think I'd managed to use up the old chickpeas. <laughs> Maybe never to go back again. I have, a, I have a, a question, which is something that really intrigues me, which is, which is the loss of taste that goes with, with COVID. Now, it's come out as a, a symptom and it's officially recognised as such, but I, I have yet talked to anybody who's actually experienced it and, and has a sense of what it meant on a day-to-day -day basis. So we didn't have a loss of taste, but just a loss of appetite. So, so we didn't have a symptom of a loss of taste, but we did have a symptom of a loss of appetite, which went alongside just um, feeling completely exhausted. That must have been a, a, a real shake-up to the way that you usually did things. Yes, it was. I mean, um, I mean, fortunately, my husband and I didn't have the same symptoms at the same time. So it was staggered for us, which was really great. Um, because both of us were completely exhausted and in bed, really unable to move for a couple of days, but not at the same time. Um, and likewise with the children, they all seemed to go down one after the other rather than simultaneously. Um, so 
it meant that the whole experience was prolonged, but I think that was better than it being, you know, intensely us all feeling really ill at the same time. Did you have a great sense of liberation when you could finally go out and shop? And what was the first thing you went for? So I didn't. I find I find going out to shop quite stressful. I think because we had been in lockdown for, um, we had gone into isolation the week before the schools shut and lockdown really um, was widespread. Uh, and then we had another seven days after that and I think over that time period that was a time I think when you know feelings of anxiety were probably at its highest um and so I felt quite anxious actually going shopping and I didn't go I sent my husband (laughs) I sent Steve initially to the supermarket (laughs) um before I went um and it was, yeah, it was just a little bit strange, I guess, as it has been for everyone, really. And then it was just about getting the sort of basics that we needed. Um, we had wonderful neighbours who had been um, really helpful whenever we went into isolation in the first place. So we never, you know, we were never in in, in real need of anything, to be honest. Are there other aspects of your eating habits or, or eating patterns that you think that might carry on after lockdown? Or um, are you done with, you know, survival, survivorship food forever? Um, no, so I think one one thing that has really happened during lockdown is that the children have been cooking a lot. So we have a weekly rota and each child cooks one meal a week. And that's been really fun. Um, And it's also been really great to see their confidence in the kitchen grow as they've moved beyond pasta and pesto or hot dogs to making their own bolognese sauce or making their own pizza dough, for example, or even deciding to take on a theme. So my 12-year-old cooked chili tacos and tortillas for Cinco de Mayo earlier in the month, which was a great success. And he planned the whole thing, he planned the menu, he planned what ingredients he needed, and he did all of the cooking with very little help. And I really hope that we can continue with that um, and that we will continue to encourage that interest that the children have developed and also their independence in cooking and that we will... One of the the other things that I've noticed in lockdown is that I've taken the time to talk through meal ideas with them, um, to talk about different ingredients. And I've been a lot more relaxed um, in the kitchen. I've been relaxed enough to let the kind of cooking with children be fun and not be too stressy or worried about the mess that they're making. Um, So I really hope that I can carry that on. The other thing that we have started doing recently is that we've um, on our lockdown walks, which has um, helped a little bit with the motivation to get children out the door and and sort of moving around is that we've been doing a bit of foraging. So recently in the last week or so, 10 days, we've been collecting elderflowers and have made gallons of elderflower cordial. Um, and the children have really enjoyed doing that. They've really enjoyed picking the elderflowers and then making the cordial and then drinking it, of course. So I hope that 
we continue to do that kind of thing as well as the seasons change um, and just take a little bit more time to um, explore, you know, these sort of different options and ideas with the children and also, our, you know, just, just ourselves really. And that has been a nice thing to do and has been really fun. It sounds like you've really learnt a lot across across this period about yourselves and about about food and, and many other things. So if I were to ask you, what do you think are the sort of most important sort of take home pieces of knowledge or understanding that, that the period has given you? What might that be? Um, I think that hmm. So one thing is that meals have become important markers in the structure of the day um, in a way that perhaps they weren't. So breakfast is important because we have got the children up and made sure they've had breakfast by nine o'clock. And then lunch has become really important focal point in the day because it's the transition point for my husband and I. So we um, have a system where one of us will work in the morning and the other works in the afternoon and we swap the child care, swap looking after the children and we swap at lunchtime. So before it used to be that dinner was the sort of focal meal of family meal, but actually lunch has now become the focal meal because it's the point at which Steve and I reconnect and the parent who is going to look after the children in the afternoon reconnects with the children. So that's interesting. Um, that has been an, a really interesting change. And I have always, we've always, you know, had family meals. It's always been important to us to eat together as a family. But, but it's interesting how it has become even more important, despite the fact that we're still spending, we're spending much more time with each other, that the meal has become, yeah, this point of reconnection or, sort of um, a marker in the day so you know we've moved from one we're moving from one phase in the day to another phase in the day through the through the meal somehow so that has been sort of an observation I think also that what I think one thing that I will will always that will definitely stay with me is how lovely our neighbours were during those first two weeks when we went into isolation. Um, uh, so, uh, and, you know, feelings of anxiety were high and uncertainty were high. Um, I remember my lovely neighbour, Marion, rang the doorbell um, and left us a loaf of bread from our local bakery that has kept going throughout. And that simple gesture really, it just completely reduced me to tears. Um and I think it was a combination of the sort of straightforward kindness of the action, which is really typical of her anyway, because she's a really lovely, kind person. And all the freshly bread, freshly baked bread embodies that sort of, I don't know, primordial nourishment and simplicity, sort of re reassurance that it was going to be okay. Um, and I think that I, I will... I mean, I, I'm, I'm even just thinking about it now. I'm starting to feel emotional again about it. There was just, I mean, something about that action at that particular moment that that kind of got to me somehow. So, yeah, 
those are the just some some thoughts I think that um I think yeah the the kind of it, in an unstructured in a less structured day that meals have bring a, a have brought a um a meaningful structure um to the day that cooking with the children has been a really lovely benefit um and a really fun thing to do um and that the sort of relationship between food and kindness and neighborliness has been reinforced somehow for me um or maybe the, some of the things that have come to mind i'm sure there there are others but they seem to come to mind right now Heather Hamill, thank you so much for sharing some very positive moments in what has been actually a very difficult time. Thank you. Around the Table is a personal production of Dr. Tess Bird and Professor Stanley Uliazak, who are anthropologists of food and nutrition and of household uncertainty and insecurity. The opinions and ideas expressed are solely those of the contributors and podcasters and do not reflect the opinions of any university body. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you for tuning in.